0: Hello, hello. Welcome to this week's NTT20 Monday podcast. Days and time itself is a bit of a uh, uh, an abstract construct right now. But George Ellick is on the line with me, Ali Maxwell, and we've got a good old pod for you today. First of all, or sort of as we go, some questions that you guys have sent in, some of them serious and about football, some of them serious and about life, some of them uh, fun and about football, some of them fun and fun and about life we've also got a special guest joining us johnny jackson joins us later on in the podcast to discuss all things charlton athletic and coronavirus and various other topics off the field and on it as well Uh, george on the line with me how are you doing i'm all right mate yeah i'm okay how are you i'm very well we we spoke you look amazing okay we're video calling for, for hmm. not the first time, but one of the first times. So we can actually see each other's expressions as we take down some of the listener questions. Yeah, I think you just look amazing. Thank basically. you. Very, that's You really do know how to give me a boost at the start of a pod. And we've got some really, really fun. <laughs> I'm glad you said boost. <laughs> we've, got, we've got some really fun questions that have been sent in by the listeners, by the followers on Twitter and Instagram. So thank you guys for that. We're going to get straight into the first question. Now, I thought we'd start with the fun football-related questions before anything serious, because that's more fun. So the first question, George, which came from Ross, was which team was the best team that didn't manage to get promoted? I'm interested to hear where you've begun your, your analysis, your research here.
1: For me, with this Q&A quiz, in doing my preparation, um, I kind of found myself looking too far back, so I tried to keep it fairly recent, fairly relevant, um, not harking back to kind of twelve, thirteen, or even you know oh eight, oh nine, or even oh two, oh three. Wow. When you know a team didn't get didn't get promoted. I mean, the ones that I would flag in recent years. I think we had two last year who were arguably the best team in their divisions who didn't get promoted. Mansfield in League Two were very strong for the whole campaign. Just missed out in that kind of four runner race for three promotion spots Mm. and then were knocked out in the playoff semi finals. We often see, I think, cases where teams who are good enough to get promoted automatically just miss out, then often bomb out in the playoffs. Uh, The other day on the Going Up, Going Down podcast, I spoke through the Bristol Rovers promotion of about three or four years ago. Mm. uh, And
0: I think Accrington are another side who probably fall into this, who were brilliant for a whole campaign in League 2. Mate, they got 85 points that year, Accrington. To compare exactly. that, Mansfield last season only got 76. Well, there you go.
1: Um, I think maybe part of that is because the quality at the top of League 2 last season was, was pretty good. I mean, it was quite competitive up there. Um, whereas in League 1 that season, sorry, League two only, that season... It was
0: only Oxford United's promotion season that, mate, so it must have been a pretty weak division.
1: Indeed. Um, but it was... Uh, but yeah, I mean, they were a class side who, again, after having the the angst of missing out on automatic promotion by a couple of minutes, then struggled. The same can be said of Shrewsbury a couple of years, gone to Paul Hurst. 87 who points. Came up against um, Wigan and Blackburn and then you know couldn't really rally themselves for the playoff push. But undoubtedly, the best team who hasn't been promoted is quite obviously last year's Leeds United. Nah. Uh, and I've been told off recently for uh, performing a sex act, shall we say, <laughs> on, Marce- on Marcelo Bielsa on last Monday's pod. To use, by to
0: on use a, a broadsheet newspaper term.
1: Exactly. Uh, and I don't really care because it's our job to tell it as we see it. And, um, you know, Leeds last season should have gone up automatically. They were, should have gone up easily in the playoffs as well and, and struggled. And we're seeing their dominance this season with a largely unchanged side um, just Ben White coming in for Pontus Janssen being the only really, real major change. Um, so I would say Leeds,
0: the top of the pile last season, but a few in there. Unfortunately, it's the wrong answer, uh, I'm afraid. Oh, uh, um, no. Yeah, I, I know. It's disappointing. I know you prefer to be right, but on this occasion, uh, you're not. Uh, I agree with you. You're absolutely right to flag up that Accrington side of 15, 16, 85 points, as you said. Of course, that was something you spoke about a couple of weeks ago on going up, going down. Windass and Crooks who were so good that season before being poached by Rangers, where it really didn't work out for either of them. Uh, the The Exeter side between 2016 and 2018 which lost in two playoff semifinals in a row, have got to feel pretty hard done by. Uh, Shrewsbury, you mentioned in League One, they got 87 points and didn't go up. Pompey, last season, got 88 points and didn't go up. Yeah, uh, also, also in League One, a team I remember really fondly from early pod days was that Walsall side that Dean Smith built. He actually left them for Villa, no, sorry, for Brentford uh, before Christmas, but they still marched to 84 points with Romain Sawyers pulling the strings, Tom Bradshaw scoring the goals had Rico Henry, Neil Etheridge and goal. Really good side that fell in the playoffs, just ran out of steam. Uh, in the championship, I think there's three big contenders. In terms of pure playoff heartache, heartbreak and heartache, uh, nothing really beats that Derby side that lost to QPR, that lost to Bobby Zamora's goal. Mm. Uh, I think they were pretty good for a promotion that year and certainly on the day as well. Uh, they're my third answer number three answer number two now you didn't want to go back this far I I never quite understood why but I have gone back to 05 06 (laughs) because Preston conceded 30 goals in 46 games that's the second best ever defensive record in the championship Uh, and they only came fourth and they didn't get promoted this was Billy Davis in charge had them unbelievably well drilled back four of Graham Alexander Claude Davies Yulma Wene and Callum Davidson only 30 goals conceded but Davis changed the system in the playoffs and they were done by Leeds United, by Rob Hulse in the, uh, in the playoffs. Rob Hulse, there wow. you, go. you know it's bad if you're getting done by a Hulse goal in the playoffs. Um, but the correct answer overall uh, is not Leeds of last season. It is Brighton of 2015-16. Now it's probably the fact that they went up the season after means that the the pain was somewhat lessened, why people might overlook this. But if, you, if you're talking that exact team they got 89 points in the championship, which is an unbelievable tally. Uh, and they, I mean, they only didn't go up because I think it was Burnley and Middlesbrough under Karanka who just sort of squirmed their way to automatic promotion. And then and they, and they went into the playoffs, understandable favorites for that. And in that first leg against Sheffield Wednesday, Tom Hemed, Steve Sidwell, Connor Goldson and Knockart all got injured. Uh, so not only did they have to make three subs pretty quickly, but then they played with 10 men for the last half an hour and they ended up losing those playoffs. So that's my answer there. I think Brighton 15, 16, the 18, you've taken
1: the, you've taken very much. The table doesn't lie stance with your deduction on the correct answer. Whereas I've taken
0: the more, uh, well, the I, theoretical, but they stance, were they yeah. were they were also absolutely excellent. As yeah, I
1: know, I know. But just you know, you're saying definitively, you know, the points tally is the is the answer. I, I would back the last year's Leeds team to beat that Brighton team. But mm. that is the beauty of football debate, isn't it? Again,
0: okay. I think you'll find Chris Hughton taught Marcelo Bielsa everything he knows about <laughs> count- counter pressing. Um, the second question was from Jack. If these promotion sides had a playoff battle, who would come out as winner? Now, Jack has inserted Fulham from 2017-18 in there. They won the playoffs, of course, against Villa that year. Uh, he's pitted them in a semi-final first leg against Sheffield United from last season, Chris Wilder's Sheffield United. The other semi-final is Cardiff under Warnock from 1718, automatically promoted behind Wolves and Norwich from last season, Norwich from 2018-19. How did you approach this one, George? This really got my juices flowing.
1: I think the first thing to point out with what I did is to remember that we're talking about Sheffield United 1819 and Norwich 1819. so you cannot let what's happened this year in the Premier League sway your views at all, mm. because Norwich were the rightful champions last season, Sheffield United were a fantastic side. Similarly, that Fulham team, whilst they had to rely on the playoffs to get promoted, they're you know, they would have been aside had they lost that playoff final against Villa, they'd have been firmly in the conversation for that previous question.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Their, their form in the last three or four months were, was absolutely unbelievable. They were such an electric team to watch, so good going forward. 20, uh,
0: 23 and- games unbeaten they went from, from just before Christmas, 23 unbeaten, 18 wins and five draws before they they chucked one in on final day against Birmingham as they got ready for the playoffs. That's
1: Superb statting. You've got, you got a good stat pack with you today. I'm enjoying this. But uh, it's, it's like being on Five Live with Statman Dave. But, uh, but it's... Um, yeah, so I'd have Fulham beating Sheffield United in, in the first leg. I'd have Norwich beating Cardiff in the second leg. Whilst Cardiff are, of course, a very, very good side, especially defensively. I, I do still think that um, you know Norwich Norwich's attacking flair and, and the ability of the likes of Brende and Pukki last season would have seen them home over two legs. What a playoff final that would have been. Um last year's oh. Norwich side against that Fulham team. Um, and I think I'm probably just going to lean towards Norwich.
0: Oh, because I've got the exact same final, but I've leant towards Fulham. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 they're
1: both brilliant much, sides and brilliant teams. And, you know, towards the end of those seasons, we're really riding the, the crest of something special. Um, but I just feel like it's easy now because Norwich have had their, their their struggles and their troubles. It's easy to forget just how good they were last season and just how you know, when they were in full flow, they were also absorbing to watch and, and in Buendia, you know, that would have been the, the Buendia versus Kearney final, I guess. Mm. And um, Emmy is a is a player who, you know, I just love to watch and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes on and progresses. I don't think we're going to see him with Norwich next season back in the EFL. But yeah, slightly leaning on Norwich, but, but not much in it.
0: Yeah, as you say, it's important to remember as well that this is a best team for a playoff campaign, not necessarily mm. who was the best team for a league season, which is obviously why Fulham didn't go up automatically but that form that they came into the playoffs with the way that they were playing I think they would have beaten Sheffield United who I I thought originally potentially Sheffield United might be the sort of they probably could have set up in a certain way to frustrate Fulham and then you know find some gaps on the counter attack and, and you know that's not that's certainly not out of the question. But I did notice that Sheffield United last season they lost nine games in the league. All of them were against top ten teams. So actually, their record against the best teams wasn't too good. And the reason I edged towards Norwich was uh, sorry, was towards Fulham in the final, was because Norwich's defensive record never was particularly impressive last season there were big concerns over how they defended set pieces so I think Cardiff would definitely take advantage of that in the semi-final I do think Norwich would have been good enough or at least I kind of hope they'd have been good enough to beat that Cardiff side <laughs> yeah. um, just in a in a footballing sense and I reckon Pookie against Mitro in a playoff final would be very tasty but I leant towards Fulham so good question Jack thank you very very much for that Ben asked us this is always quite a popular one best ever EFL lone E George
1: yeah, Tammy Abraham. time is about five. But um, the one I wanted to just point out was another Villa last season who maybe gets overlooked a bit, and that's Tyrone Minks, um, a player who I think it's fair to say if he hadn't come in in January, Villa probably wouldn't have got promoted. I think their fans were very keen to point that out as well. And you can't even you know, have Ben mentioned Reece James for Wigan. Uh but you can't really measure success more than a promotion to the premier league. And, and, you know, as I said at the top of the show, trying to think of recent seasons here. And, and I think Mings has to be in with a shout, but they are in so many good ones um, that it's kind of impossible to really say, I think every single fan of every club right now is screaming at their phone to, to say that, you know, that they're, they're key and um, you know, the list is endless. So, But means it's just one I wanted to flag.
0: Yeah, I'm going to stick with Jermaine Defoe. I told the story on, I think, the second episode of Going Up, Going Down. So you can go find that for the reasons why. But what he did, basically, out of the blue uh, in setting that record of scoring in consecutive games for Bournemouth, uh, aged 18, when he was so small and just so fast, it's not even funny. But that powerful shot was still there. Uh, The the highlights are incredible. And I just think it's an amazing story. David asked (laughs) Besht? that's sort yes. of sean connery coming out to present the <laughs> not the Tw- not the top 20 pod and that's a question for him yeah as well. quite apt uh, best scottish player to play in the championship that was almost dutch who's the best i'm going to say it in a normal voice david says who's the best scottish player to play in the championship and or efl and i reckon this one took you about 0.3 seconds to think of your answer oh really if well, i missed out so obvious then given that it's your favorite player ever in the EFL. Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to Chris McGuire is obviously my answer, but, but you know, it would be uh, facetious of me to give it seriously. But he's my favourite player to play in the, in the AFL. We've had a couple of, of pretty good ones recently. Tom Kearney, um, you know, whether we can call him a Scotsman, I'm not sure, but he's certainly a Scottish player um, in terms of the, in that he plays for Scotland. John McGinn. Put, um, put it
0: this way, George. Do you consider me to be a Scotsman?
1: You have never had an international cap for Scotland, mate, so But, but I not, have
0: the same amount of I have probably more Scottish heritage, probably stronger Scottish heritage than John Kenny.
1: You still can't you still can't claim it's the same thing when you've never pulled on the blue shirt. Um uh, John McGinn is a is another one and a player who's pretty unpopular with the Scotland fans, but a, a you know, a doff of the cap to Wally McBurney, someone who Scotland fans really don't like seeing playing for them. Um, but is a another one who plays for Scotland, and has been
0: very good in the EFL. See, I'm, to use that, that famous Charlie Nicholas Soccer Saturday phrase, I'm sitting there thinking, uh, could it be Andy Robertson? Andy Robertson, a European champion, uh, probable or possibly not, depending on what happens, Premier League champion, uh, and he only four years ago was heading towards the playoffs around about now, with Brucey and big old Maguire with his big head and Abel Hernandez and Mo they, 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 You know, he was there flying up and down the left for Hull. So I'm going to say Andy Robertson because he's, well, I mean, he's he's the Scottish player that has played or is playing at the highest level for quite some time now. So he's going in for me. Uh, Andrew said, love this one. If you could play for any club other than the ones you support, who would it be and why? <laughs> I'm interested to know what your sort of working was here because at first, I was trying to work out, you know, am, am I just me with my current exact life, but it turns out overnight, someone like boosts my stats like you would on the FM editor and I'm suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, a, you know, an EFL level player or am I, or can I just almost create a life for myself? Because obviously any London club would work pretty well. There are a lot of championship clubs in London. I wouldn't have to move away from, from my family, from where I currently live. Crawley's not far away, so I could join Yemsey. <laughs> John <laughs> Uncut Yems and Bezlebala, Um but in the end I, I decided that wasn't how I was going to go for it how did you how did you take this one on
1: well my initial answer was going to be Leeds and Bielsa um, but then I suddenly realised whilst you were talking that I would be knackers <laughs> if, if trying to learn Bielsa board I don't think I would um, I don't think I'm, I'm really cut out for that for that kind of system um, you prefer so maybe... you,
0: you prefer to defend in a low block I think it's fair to well, say well
1: I was going to say maybe Coventry and I could go and sit deep and um, you know, in that kind of that midfield five in central <laughs> field, and just and just ping balls over the top, which takes us quite nicely onto our uh, Athletic article. What a segue that was! Not planned at all. Yeah. Um, but uh, as as you know, the Athletic do sponsor this podcast, um, and we you know firmly recommend that if you haven't signed up yet, that you do. It's got the best written content around. In football, uh, we sometimes write for them as well with some of our musings. And certainly in this time of reflection and self-isolation, there's plenty of retrospective and current EFL stuff, including Matt Slater's pieces who we had on the other day talking about the current situation in football. But there's a good piece that went up to this morning, actually.
0: Um, Do you reckon they heard us talk about Mark Robbins being manager of the year in the EFL on last week's Monday pod and decided wow, we better write about this. I, I think probably not. But Liam Toomey and Greg Evans uh, yeah. ha- have written uh, kind of the piece. I guess Liam, who's who's the Chelsea writer, uh, he's got some quite interesting ins with Coventry because mm. AD Viviash is the assistant manager, sort of Chelsea reserve team legend as a coach. Uh, but also Fankati Daba, who's someone that they talk about in the piece, Viviash was kind of the reason why they were able to get him in. Um, he, he's obviously got an in there. And then Greg Evans is the... Aston Villa writer for, for the Athletic but has got a few good ins here there's lots of good quotes aren't there I mean it's a it's a decent primer on not just the situation with regards to the ownership and regards to, to playing at St Andrews rather than at the Rico but also how they've they've tried to build this squad and how Robbins starts to you when know, approaches approach his management I mean last week I said I didn't think he was necessarily the biggest character Mark Robbins then there's a quote in the piece saying that wins are soundtrack by Sweet Caroline in the dressing room with Robbins, <laughs> Robbins and all his coaching staff joining in the singing.
1: It's a funny one with Coventry because they are a club, anyone kind of of our age, you know, growing up there in Premier League side, playing Highfield Roads who are pretty well established, a bit of a yo-yo side, but certainly a big club. And of any team from that era, the Coventry city of today just feels like a bit of a different club it doesn't feel the same. The fact they're top of League One feels like a bit of a surprise. And the interesting thing with this piece is it really goes through everything about Coventry, from the move to the Rico, uh, which has, of course, ended up with them playing at St Andrews this season, from how the kind of the desire to, to build on Highfield Road and to build this new, bigger stadium ended up causing their downfall, which means that this position they're in is such a surprise, despite it being top of League One. A, you know, a, a position they probably would have seen as being beneath them just a, a decade ago. And loads and loads of quotes from players as well. I mean, he, they speak to Darbo. Um, lots of good quotes as well from Liam Kelly, the player that I'd probably try and to usurp if I got into that, that side. Club captain, um, Sprayer, number one. Uh, and he talks, which is just one interesting aspect of it, um, which is worth looking at, he talks about how actually playing at St Andrews and the quality of the pitch and the size of the pitch has really helped them. And that given the way they play football and given that Robbins tries to encourage them to get the ball down on the deck and to play it properly and given the technical ability of their players, playing the home games there has actually been a benefit, despite it being taking a bit of time to, to come to terms with the fact that they aren't very many fans there. They all speak to fans as well who've basically boycotted going to the games for the time being. It's just, I mean, if, if, if
0: it's vintage, it's very, vintage it, athletic.
1: Yeah, it'd be very hard for anyone to um, to suggest that the Athletic aren't doing a good job in covering League One and League Two if anyone reads this, because it's a proper deep dive into uh, the club currently at the summit of League One. And I really, really recommend reading it. It's a cracking read. And, and as ever, um, if you haven't signed up yet, if we haven't persuaded you in you know, the kind of eight months we've been sponsored by them uh, and the Coventry City piece is the thing that's going to do it. Head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20.
0: Nicely done, George. Uh, I, I never told you my actual choice of oh. club I'd like to play for. I know that you've been waiting to hear me mm. say it. It's none, of it's, it's none of these London clubs. It's not Crawley Town. It's actually Bristol City is uh, my my final answer here. I think, first and Better foremost... Than- First and foremost, me and Lee Johnson would be an excellent combination. I think I'd be the creative number 10 that he's always craved, that he's never quite been able to find a, a space for. I think I could solve that problem for him, finally get Bristol City to be a, a side that creates a lot of good chances and takes them as well. Uh, it's obviously the city that I went to university in, and just any chance to go back there really is something that I'm taking. An unbelievable city, one of my favourite places in the whole world. Uh, obviously know all the old haunts i think quite a lot of those clubs on the triangle have changed name changed ownership but the, the you know it's the thought that counts i'm pretty sure i could get back into the swing of things uh you know monday nights out were always the big one and i'm sure i could get back into that uh, so long as there weren't any midweek <laughs> games and obviously post pod post pod exactly obviously a chance of of being an absolute club legend somewhere and, and getting that first that elusive uh, football club or nightclub uh both uh, the chance of getting that uh premier league promotion that they've been quite close to in the last few years and being an absolute bristol city legend so that's where i'm gonna go and join if i could play for any club thanks for the question andrew uh, next up bj pete says which current league two team do you think has the best chance of making the premier league uh, i mean obvious answer isn't theres uh is the obvious answer salford Mm. No. See that's that yeah that's like on QI when there's the klaxon for the obvious wrong answer. No uh, but it's not though. It I mean it's though. just
1: you have to you have to look at it as a purely monetary question. I'm I'm afraid no matter how well you're on no matter how well any team's doing this season it's basically irrelevant. It's a side it's the club that have the resources and the ability to fund a a, a rise that great uh, and they, the only... They've got
0: the ability to fund a rise George but I think it hits a wall at the championship. Because at Championship, the, the the financial structures in place make it a lot harder for you just to be a rich owner of a small club. Because at the moment they can just basically circumvent the salary cap, the current rules in that. But once you get to the Championship, it's done on losses, isn't it? So uh, I still think if if you look at, I mean, even looking at Derby last season and the
1: impact that having Lampard, the club had in terms of loan players, the, the impact that that it's going to have going forward. If Salford were a championship sub club, even if they didn't have the financial clout, they would. I'm pretty sure they'd be getting some quite tasty players. in. There's no question in my head what the answer is for this one. If you, if I was wrong the first time, you're wrong if you've got a different answer than with this one.
0: Okay, okay. Well, I mean, it's pretty <laughs> unlikely for any team, to be to be fair, with the current uh, imbalance, I suppose, and and the, the gaps between various divisions between League One and the Championship more than anything else, let alone the Championship and the Premier League. Um, I think... Yeah, I, I, I know why you went for Salford. I do think that the the financial um, benefit, well, the financial strength that they have, I think, would sort of run out or would be much less effective in in the championship. Um, so I guess, I mean, and this and this would have to be the most amazing EFL story of the next ten years. Don't get me wrong, but I think Plymouth or Bradford, just in terms of having the the infrastructure, the facilities, the stadia. Um, and and I suppose to some extent the fan base as well that would that would at least help them if if they're not just doing it on financial uh, on on the finances that their owners have I think that those two clubs are fairly well set certainly Plymouth their ownership uh, structure at the moment their ownership team is getting rave reviews from everyone uh, and you know who knows with a bit of uh, with with a, with a bit of Ryan Lowe at the helm who knows what they could do so I'm, I'm going to go with Plymouth um, serious football question now uh, Blades analytic gave us a couple the first one george what changes would you implement to the efl system if you had the power to change the way it's currently operated so i've got two answers here um that's that's one absolutely fine it's your podcast
1: you do what you like i'm gonna be quick though because i know we've got to rattle through these um the first one is a kind of governance rule i think if you fail to pay your players or pay your staff there's an immediate uh, points deduction no questions asked at all probably a more severe one than we're used to um, uh, yeah, I think that's just a very clear way and very obvious way of making it so that if you are unable, you know, if you're basically bending the rules and you're, you've got playing staff who are playing for you without being paid, then you should be punished severely. And that in, in, in turn should mean that it happens less often. So that would be my first one. And on a more footballing thing, and this is something I used to you the other day um, as a possible hot take for the, for the Going Up, Going Down podcast, I'll say it now instead because um, I don't think it's big enough. I would quite like it. If you scrapped the fourth playoff spot, right? So Mm -hmm. teams that come sixth in two promotions, seventh and three in in League Two, they don't get into the playoffs. Nothing. But the team finishing at the top of the relegation zone above it enter the playoffs. Nice, okay. Because in that case, you're ensuring that the team who comes up has had to get past the, 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 the worst team coming down. So you're basically making sure that there is a balance there and you're not having a team that are going down is far better than the teams coming up below it
0: so in the championship or in league one rather in the playoffs you'd with the current league table have oxford portsmouth fleetwood and charlton in the uh, playoffs correct Uh, interesting tidy tasty um okay my what's my one here yes uh, a couple of things one on a a similar note to you of course there's there's a lot of chatter about how the the various uh, well just the rules and the regulations around governance and ownership have led to uh, among other things, uh, a, a real issue across the EFL with clubs' finances. Um, uh, clearly, we have to improve those taking over clubs and we have to make it harder. I think this is probably more important. We have to make it harder for clubs to, to live or die based on the whims uh, or the finances of one person, of the owner. Um, w- we probably need to make it less expensive to run clubs because I think, as it is at the moment, a lot of level-headed people who would Run clubs very well, and I dare say have some money as well to do so, are probably being put off because it's just such a horrendous business prospect to buy, to own, to run an EFL club. That's why I think, you know, I I use the term level headed people quite specifically uh, in relation to the owners that we have seen taking over clubs in the last few years and in some cases running them to the wall, running them into the ground. These guys, a lot of them, I don't think have been particularly level-headed, sensible types. Um, How do you do that? Well, quite extreme, but I think hard salary caps would have to be implemented and maybe even hard transfer spending caps and it'd be linked to a club's revenue. So this is just uh, basically a way of of seeing a decline in ridiculous losses that clubs are making, not every single club, but so many clubs are making. If you had a hard cap uh, that was linked to the revenue that you bring in, not only does that mean that in theory you should be able to avoid large losses, but also you can raise revenue by player sales. So it's not like you'd be completely stuck with, okay, we only get 5,000 a week through the gates. So our revenue is just absolutely set in stone and it's quite small, you know. You'd be rewarded for other things, for, for sort of organic, I suppose, growth of revenues, and then you could spend more on your wages, more on your transfer fees. I don't think any club in the championship should be spending £10 million on a player. I, I, I'd i argue that even £5 million on one player uh, is too much. Now, the parachute payments are obviously a big part of this. I'd like to see them being used for the reason they're introduced for, and it's a perfectly good reason, which is to act as a safety measure against the gigantic drop in revenue that you get as a club between the Premier League and the Championship because of the Premier League's £100 million TV deal and the Championships being whatever it is, quid or something like that. So, parachute payments, I do think they are necessary. We've spoken to Kieran Maguire about this, but some of them are being spent on transfer fees. Some of them are being spent on agents' fees. Some of them are being spent on big new contracts for players that otherwise would probably have to leave or have their contracts slashed just to see if they can get get themselves back up quickly and then they don't have to worry about it. Now, that's not what parachute payments should be used for. I, I, I want stricter rules on what you can use that money for. It, it should just be to ease that, that financial um, drop uh, that, that, that you experience for a year or two or, or even three. Um that's obviously quite extreme. Um, it, it's it's an easy one to sit here and say. The implementation would be very difficult and it would be incredibly painful. It would be painful for fans. Uh, they'd have to really rethink how they support their club and what they're critical about within their club. Uh, but it would have a massive impact on players as well, of course. The, the effect of wage bills being slashed would have a big impact on players' wages, their remuneration, what they get paid to do. Uh, their their job and and on the transfer market as well there would obviously be much less transfer um, business as a byproduct of this as well as improving the financial health of the game I think it would make it more of a, a, a fairer sporting contest which has got to be a good uh, bit of collateral as well there'd be more rewards I think in a footballing level for those being smart for them for, for those clubs running their clubs properly running them well um, on and off the pitch, you'd get more reward for that. Uh, and that's what I would like to see happen. Uh, Freddie asked, do you think we will come out of the coronavirus with 71 EFL clubs still in business? Uh, quite a, any, any proper corona-related stuff at the moment, George, I'm finding difficult because I understand there's a need to sort things out and to have plans in place. But it still feels to me like we're, we're nowhere near anywhere through this so I mean there's there's, for me I, I don't know how you can really make any big decisions right now when we don't really know how long this is going to last but just in terms of whether we think there'll still be 71 EFL clubs in business I mean it, it's it's not a particularly positive answer is it really?
1: No I mean I'm no expert important to point that out but at the same time um, I've spoken to a fair few recently whether that's Matt Slater, whether that's um, Phil Wallace at Stevenage whether that's Ivor Heller at the FC Wimbledon for, for various reasons um, reading stuff from Mark Palios as well on The Athletic and the general consensus seems to be that it's very unlikely there won't be some casualties uh, unless there's some good news around the corner whether that's a government bailout whether that's uh, the situation not being as severe as we think and, and football being able to resume in front of crowds as early as this summer and um, It's hard to say, but if I were a betting man and there was a market, I think I'd probably be making um, no
0: favourite, sadly. Yeah, no, I quite agree with that. So thank you for the question, Freddie. Uh, It's not a particularly positive answer. And it kind of leads on to the next part of the podcast because Spain Addict on Twitter said, what is your view on what's going on at Charlton Athletic Football Club? And there's been... A lot going on it's fair to say and uh, so we dialled up Johnny Jackson we wanted to know well we wanted to know lots of things about what's happening at Charlton at the moment how they've been affected by coronavirus the very sad passing of their greatest fan really by all accounts Seb Lewis uh, and also what's been happening off the pitch and how it's affected the management staff and the club so we dialled up Johnny Jackson earlier Charlton's assistant manager to pick his brains on a a range of topics
1: uh, former professional footballer current professional football assistant manager and amateur foot golfer Johnny Jackson <laughs> I'm <laughs> quite doing? ready to turn pro on that one am I <laughs> and not unless I am too that's um, <laughs> no, true how are you doing Johnny good to speak to you are you are you safe and healthy?
2: Yeah yeah I'm safe and healthy uh, no problems here family family are all well just just locked away obviously just just pretty bored like, like I imagine the rest of my colleagues are with you know we'd love to get back to work it's what we do is what we love doing and we can't do it but obviously at this time um, you know the football football power's into insignificance with, with what's going on but, um, to just trying to find ways to keep yourself occupied and, and entertained really like just like everyone else I guess.
1: How, how much are you speaking to to Lee Bowie to the other coaching staff to the players as well during this time?
2: Yeah, I mean, I spoke to Lee most days. Um, obviously, if there's anything to update, you know, we we, we do that. Uh, the odd day will go by at the moment where there's really, there's really no more info to give. So uh, we might not speak, but pretty much every other day um, at, at the very least. And we're, we're in constant contact with the lads via sort of WhatsApp, the WhatsApp group. And, uh, you know, if there's any info to give out on there, we're doing that they're in constant contact with the um, sports science and the medical staff who are giving out like the, the individual training programs um, on a weekly basis for them to follow that when they have to they have to provide evidence in the group that, the, that they've done that which they're doing brilliantly to be fair so we, so we have access to all of that um, and then obviously if we need to give them any updates if, if there's anything come through from the AFL or or from the club, then we just use the uh, the WhatsApp to get the info out there. If they've got any questions, they can fire them back, which they're doing from time to time. But um, to be fair, everyone's getting on with it. They know, they know that it's of no one's making this situation, and there's no one to blame if you like. So they're all, everyone's in the same boat. They're just getting on with their work. They know that they have to keep ticking over because we could get the nod. At any stage, although it doesn't look like it's going to come anytime soon, you have to be ready to, that when it does come, um, we and um, if and when we can resume, that we're that we're ready to go. So, I imagine most clubs are following very similar sort of training programs and protocols at the moment, and it's all you can do.
0: Aside from the fact that football's suspended and that you guys can't do your jobs at the moment, uh, it's also been a really Just a really tough few weeks off the field and and for the club in general. A a fan called Seb Lewis uh, lost his life aged just 38 from COVID-19 just a few days ago. And from the outpouring of support that that we were able to see, even from outside of the club, uh, it's clear that that this man was just a huge part of Charlton Athletic and a huge part of the club. So a a really tough few days.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was really sad. He's sort of like, if you ask anyone associated with Charlton like to name a super fan straight away, they'd say, Seb, yeah, he go back to 98, was the start of his consecutive run of games. So basically he would have seen every single game I ever played for the club uh, and, and much further back too. So he was always first there when he was out to warm up. Seb was there with his flag, same with home games. He was always there to greet the coach, always had words of encouragement, never, never a negative word come out of his mouth. Um, and it was his life. It was his life. It really was. I know he. Uh, I think he was a driving instructor, and I know he, he even taught a few of the uh, the younger pros to drive and the apprentices and things like that when they first started going out. So a real affiliation with the club, um, and a, a real a real sense of loss. Like when we when we heard that he was ill, we was all concerned, but but hopeful that you know he would recover, and obviously. Uh, quickly got worse, uh, and then the news came through that, that, that sadly, it passed and it was real. It was a real sense of loss, and you know, we're all thinking of ways of, of how we can help. With you know, we obviously we wanted to attend the funeral, but I think we've been told that that's that's got no you know no chance of being able to do that. Uh, to trying to think of ways to help uh, his family and stuff like that, and all the lads. I've had loads of messages from the lads saying like. If we need any help, things donated and stuff like that that that, that, uh, that they'd like to help. So the outpouring of support uh, and messages that you've seen, I think, I think, have really shown what it, what he meant to people um, around the club. It's been incredible.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned at the top of the interview that you know, of course, football at this time pales into insignificance. And I think seeing the outpouring of emotion and seeing you know a, a guy who was so popular at his club, it just really brings home just how as you say, you know football at this time is not the most important thing, but that doesn't change the fact that eventually, you know, what's going to happen with the rest of the season is going to have to be resolved. To talk about it and to discuss the possible outcomes it does not in any way suggest that people don't realise the severity of the situation or think that football is more important. And Charlton find themselves in a difficult position where after the the last game that you played against Middlesbrough, um, you're now in the relegation zone for the first time this season. Yeah. Um, So I'm guessing there's probably no one with more at stake really at this this moment in time as Charlton in hoping that the season can get underway and can be completed because it would seem very unfair if it was null and void and you would get relegated on the back of, of, as I say, just dropping into into relegation zone at the last game. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I mean, we would feel hard done by in that respect, like out of uh, 37 match games, match weeks, if you like, 36 of them, we're not in the relegation zone and on the 37th week, we drop in, um, and then it, and then it got null and voided, and they decided to give you your final placings. We would obviously feel hard done by by that, but um, I think whatever way it gets resolved, the the, fa- the fairest way and the, the way that we all want, I think every single person in football is for us to be able to resume finish the season. I think that's that's clear because that's that is the fairest way, and that's what everyone wants. We wanna we wanna you know a definitive. Uh, conclusion to the season. Just from, from our point of view, if it goes beyond June, then I think you just run into a whole real real new world of problems. That uh, I can't speak for other clubs, but just just from our point of view, for example, we've got 14 players out of contract on the 30th of June. We've got five loanees um, that would go back to their parent clubs um, and we would be left with six first-team players yeah. on the books, plus plus our youth teams, basically. So that would pose us a real problem. Now, I see a lot of, and it, it comes from the Premier League mainly, saying that we have to finish no matter when, even if it takes till October, November, and then we start again. But just further down the line, I think I don't see that as a viable option for the EFL clubs. A lot of, a lot of them, come October, November, are going to be on their knees financially if there's been no football. Their squads are going to have been decimated with players out of contract the Premier League can easy maybe run their players' contracts on for a, for another month or two, but I just don't see that the EFL clubs have the capabilities, a lot of them, to do that. I just think going when you go beyond June, 30th of June, you're you're in a whole new world of problems, which I, I don't know the answers to how you address that. I really don't. Um, it, it, it's a bit of a minefield. It's messy and it's not what any of us want, but I think the the longer it goes, the more, I think the more you're going to start hearing people push for uh, for the season to be scrapped, personally. That, that's my personal opinion. That's not what I want. That's not what I want. That's just the way I see it going. The longer this situation, I mean, the, the, at the moment, we're talking April 30th back playing. But realistically, is that going to happen when we're sort of on lockdown for at least another two weeks? Um, medical officer, yesterday, officer talking could be three to six months. Of social distancing, so where, where does football come into this? Like, uh, yeah. and it's a bit, it's a bit, um, I don't know what the word is, uh, what word I'm looking for, but like, sort of, how dare football sort of start up again, if you like, when the rest of the world's on lockdown and and is social distancing? Like, what what makes us different, and why why does that need to get resolved before anything else? You know, I think football's got a responsibility to do the right thing too, and. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing at the moment doesn't answer these questions and the plan behind closed doors. There's still a million questions that come with that because it's not just the 22 people that are on the pitch. It's, it's everyone else involved in it. And what if someone got ill during that, then you got to stop again. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's just so many questions, obviously that I haven't yeah. got the answers for, but, but the, these discussions needs to be had because the way I see it, there, there, there needs to be a cutoff at some stage. If, if, if there's no resolution before a certain certain time, I think we need to know, as, as football clubs and as, as businesses and as employees, and of what we're doing in the future and where our future lies and, and how we're going to get our business, our game, our club, back up and running. Because at the moment, a lot of EFL's clubs not just worried about when they're going to be playing again. It's like how they're going to survive this This situation because a lot of them, and like a lot of businesses, small businesses, medium, large, a lot of people are going to struggle to come out the other side of this, and football clubs are no different. Yeah. Well, it's
1: certainly sobering stuff. Every conversation we seem to have with anyone involved seems to leave me pretty miserable about the situation, but fingers crossed that for Charlton. Uh, it doesn't end up being a case where it's null and void, in
2: the current standings uh, or the way we finish the season. Just well, you could do, could do null and void, and everything scrapped, George, and then that'd be all right, wouldn't that it? Would, that would be all right. <laughs> but that's the point. Every club's going to have their own agenda as well. Yeah. Like, do we do we want the season scrapped? No, we want it, we want to play it and we want to stay up on our on our merits. Do we want it scrapped, null and void, and you finish where you where you currently are? Of course, we don't do we want it fin- do we want it scrapped and we've and everything's as you were and you start again that would be better for us than that last scenario but that's not what we want either but every club's going to have a different agenda as well so how do you get 72 clubs or 92 clubs whatever to to all agree it's going to be tough just
1: a, a last point Johnny before we let you go because I, I don't think sadly we're going to be able to solve that <laughs> just, just, just ourselves I thought <laughs> but... you could do everything you see <laughs> But uh, just a final point, Charlton, one of the few clubs where there's been a bit of news since football finished um, with owner uh, Tarnoon Nima removing Matt Suttle, uh from the club. There was a bit of nastiness at the time with Matt Suttle claiming he hadn't left, but we're not going to ask you to comment on that. But just as to whether or not you or, or Lee have spoken to the owner or have spoken to the, to the new people that he's appointed in place of those that have left.
2: Yeah, well, we met the owner and the, and the new people that have been appointed um, a couple of months ago. Actually, they they came over for uh, I think it was the the Barnsley home game. Um, so it would have been a while ago now. Um, we met them all then, but obviously Matt Southall was still in place at that time. Obviously, the landscapes changed a little bit, and I haven't had any personal contact with uh, with uh, Mr. Nima since then. But I know Lee has Lee has, Lee has spoke to him. Um, he's assured. He's assured us that that he's sticking by the club. That he's going to provide the necessary funds and proof of funds and stuff like that to get the to get the club on a sure uh, footing again. So um, that's encouraging. What, what he's saying um, is exactly what you want to hear um, at the moment. And, and he's saying that he's going to stick by the club and, and do right. Um, try and right whatever wrongs perhaps have gone before. So um, encouraging words. But obviously. Well, <laughs> Like with all these things, the proof again will be in the pudding and, and at some stage, especially in this current climate, the club's probably going to need an injection of funds. So, um, it, you know, we'll, 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 need, uh, we'll need them worse to come to fruition and, and no reason to, to think that they won't uh, with the conversations that have, that have gone on already.
1: Well, yeah, I think probably for Mr Neman, not the greatest time to uh, to get involved in a football club. But fingers crossed that everything's OK for Charlton for the end of this season. Fingers crossed that everything resolves itself uh, on that issue too. And thank you as ever, Johnny, for taking the time to talk to us. Hi, no
2: Cheers, boys. Thank you.
0: Right, George, back to Q&A things. And I made it quite clear when I sent the tweet, when I posted on the old Instagram story, I made it clear that it wasn't just footballing-related stuff that we were keen to talk about. There's a whole big world out there, and uh, and we live in it, especially at the moment. We are right in the middle of the real world. So um, thankfully, we got a fair few questions on other stuff. And one of the things that two people were after are football-related book recommendations. George, not you, another George, and Dan Asked about this, I know that you're a you're an avid reader, and you you're really good at finding the time to read, which a lot of people, myself included, struggle with. More of a more of a fiction guy, but any football mm. book recommendations that you have? I don't really read sports books. Mm. I read,
1: as you mentioned, I can give a couple of, or maybe one or two. Why don't I fiction. just give mine then? I mean, I can give you I, if you like a, a read of like a you know a personal it's nothing to do with football but there's a very good book called the hearts and invisible Furies* by john boyne that i'd recommend massively for a bit of an epic um it'll tug at the heartstrings it'll keep you very occupied during this time of
0: self-isolation so i mean i never thought i'd recommend that on the podcast but there we are it's all getting far too high brow for me um uh well i've got a couple of football book recommendations two that are very well known but that you just have to read they're just so good like that these are the ones where i'm like i wish i could just read that again and actually given how long it's been since i read them both i probably could and i wouldn't remember most of it but the the two books that they're both about italian football so it's not efl related but the miracle of castel de sangro and a season in verona uh, by them both doesn't really matter which one you start first they're both just so good italy is the most fascinating country i think everyone knows that Football in Italy is just completely crazy, uh, and and both books are just amazing footballing and sort of human stories as well. Um, I'm going to shout out uh, Michael Cox as well, uh, sort of, uh, sort of through gritted teeth because you know <laughs> you don't really want to give too much credit to people, and uh, you know, uh, but his books are are just absolutely brilliant. They are just so up my street. Uh, the mixer. Takes on Premier League uh, tactical history, and it's not just about tactics. It's more about the trends of football, how it's looked, which players have been influential, and why, and which managers and things like that. Um, that was his first one. Excellent. Um, I've actually got one as well. I've got a, I've got a football book. Okay, why don't you wait till I'm finished with mine? I thought you were finished. No, well, you literally just interrupted me mid sentence. I think you knew I wasn't finished. Um, yeah. But zonal marking uh, is probably even more up my street. That's about foot- European football. Uh, through times i and uh, i just really like the way that michael writes i don't you know he doesn't waste words but pretty much every single sentence in these books is something either interesting or something that you don't know or you know the research that he did for them which i was involved with in the zone i was gonna say with the uh, <laughs> i read i think 20 french autobiographies for him and picked out the best quotes some of which are used in that book so that's very good and then lastly nerdy football stuff Uh, There's a lot of books about football analytics, of course, uh, soconomics and uh, the numbers game and the one by Christoph Biermann, uh, which I read last summer called Football Hackers. Um, But I also love reading the books that the 21st Club, which is a football consultancy business, they produce uh, a lot of books. They're just uh, they're just a what would you call it? A group of small blog posts that they write um, and they curate them into a book. I think there are three now and a lot of interesting things to reflect on when you read the 21st Club book. So I think those are definitely available online. Give that a Google. And there's a few of my book recommendations. George, you, you, you did find one in the end.
1: Yeah, Football by Alex Bezos.
0: <laughs> Have you just Googled Football Book and the no, no, first no, one is a, called Football?
1: Football, yeah, football by Alex Bezos. Football, F-U-T-E-B-O-L. Um, the Brazilian way of life I read it when I was in Brazil um, a while ago but it is unbelievably good it has it's kind of broken down into chapters of different stories about Brazilian football and the chapter on Garincha is one of the greatest chapters of any book I've ever read um, so I would definitely recommend that as a you know you can imagine
0: that you're on uh, on Ipanema when you're reading it because it's uh, it's superb that leads us into Nick's question which is how do you guys know each other uh, and it leads us quite well because uh, we started the pod in 2016, but in 2014 we did uh, spend a, a, a brief day or two together in Brazil at the World Cup, uh, which speaks to a, a past that is not necessarily, uh, well certainly not for at least 10 years, had nothing to do with uh, Not the Top 20 podcast. Uh, we were mm. actually actually at school together, weren't we? Forged a friendship in the what, what are we going to say? 2002, 2003, something like that?
1: Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, I'd say a bit earlier, actually.
0: Definitely earlier. I'd say about okay. 2001, 2000. And it was uh, it was not unusual, but it was uh, it was across year groups. And it was basically, mm. uh, it didn't happen too much. I dare say it probably still doesn't happen too much. But there was a real, it was like, it, <laughs> this is going to sound so weird, but it was real like, yeah. We know that like everyone likes football, but who are the real, <laughs> who, are the, who are the ones that really like football? Who are the ones that basically cannot and will not think about anything else? And um, I think that can, was...
1: Can you speak the language of football? Is basically the chat. line yes, I can. Okay. You're in the club. That's uh, fine.
0: And it wasn't just me and you. We got a couple of other mates who we're still very good mates with to this day. Some of our best friends, in fact, who aged whatever it was, 10, 11 years old uh we created our own football team at uh, in the playground called the legendary pigeons um we thought that was pretty funny as a team name but in hindsight it's actually quite cringe and um <laughs> and we lived a, a couple of things together really we definitely lived euro 2004 i think it was together england's was that a penalty defeat to portugal um yeah that was pretty un, uh, that was an unhappy time uh, and I used to go. I used to go to the old Oxford United game with you as well, back when Dean Whitehead was scoring free kicks, and 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 as such, Dean Whitehead's always held a special place in my heart. So there you and go. Me, mate. We um we've known each other for a long time, uh, coming up to twenty years. We've been, we were very good mates, and then uh, we didn't see each other for a, quite a while, uh, and then we rekindled around the sort of uh, 18, 19 year old era when uh, we sort of seen each other tweeting and facebooking oh you still like football do you cool let's uh let's be friends again uh and now we do this ridiculous (laughs) ridiculous podcast and other bits of work together so there you go it's a it's a nice story i think i think it's one that people will enjoy hearing but the big question that nick asked was meal deal selection and from where have you got a go to in this question you should do yeah,
1: I think the Tesco's ham and cheese is probably the elite of any supermarket ham and cheese sandwiches, very good bread. Um, but for a bit of a curveball, this, it used to be one pound, but it's not anymore. But the Boots chicken and mayo sandwich for a very cheap lunch, I recommend it. It's uh, it's not a meal deal as such, but just chicken, mayo, bread about pound twenty,
0: lovely stuff yeah i didn't even know boots did food until you go. until like last year they don't they don't really market that but some interesting lunch options in there for sure um my meal deal i think i, I don't know where or why particularly but i guess convenience wise when i was at uni it was always sainsburys was that was was available to me uh, and a pretty straightforward BLT, prawn cocktail, crisps, and a diet coke is my meal deal selection from Sainsbury's. That's enough free ads for uh, massive corporations. Mm, true. Um,
1: Get in touch, guys, if you want some foot golf.
0: <laughs> hey, uh, Blades Analytic. I mean, this is this is personal. This is personal. So you'll see how you go. He wants to know where we see ourselves in five years from now in terms of career as head of really. as, as head of business development. For not the top twenty, are uh, for our partnership business, which you are. Uh, I'll let you take the lead on this one.
1: I think we have. We're doing some work with some very good people, um, and I think if in five years we're still doing work with Sky Sports, we're still doing work with the Athletic, and we're still doing work with the BBC, we're still doing work with Quest, then I think we'll both be happy. Um, that's got to be the case. I think certainly the the last couple of years has come from a a mindset of just say yes to everything and we'll continue to do that
0: yeah i I can't add any more it sounds like quite a boring answer because it's kind of it's kind of more of the same but it's it's not been lost on us how how absurdly lucky we've been in terms of opportunities within this quite specific sphere of efl football broadcasting and um yeah all those companies that you've mentioned have done us very well and it's kind of, it's still quite new to us really over uh, a year 18 months or so since our first uh, sky sports appearance and so just getting better at that is a big goal and target uh, mm. of mine like we spoke on the live stream on sunday night for for the quiz about having the earpiece in and listening to to what's called talk back and just trying to improve as a broadcaster, is probably my main goal and target because, you know, we're doing so many podcasts and we have done for a few years now, but because we're doing them all the time, it's one of those where you don't spend a lot of time thinking about your own development and all that sort of stuff. Um, and because we're freelance, we don't get a lot of, we don't get a huge amount of feedback and stuff. So I think we're quite important for each other really to to keep helping each other get better and to, to just to bounce ideas off. Um, the pod is an important part as well for me because it's obviously not, a massive revenue stream um, in terms of us being freelancers and trying to make a living, um, but it's it's so important still. I think, and I think that you know, the day that we that we go a bit soft on it, the day that we that that we're not enthusiastic about making pods hopefully we'll never come because that would be a sad day and it still is even even with other opportunities having having sprung up it's still important and it's still important that we that we do it well take it seriously so while there might not be as many well maybe not as much time i guess to like prepare like really in-depth stuff um because we have other priorities work-wise um, that is definitely still a target to keep growing the audience as well like you know i think we've, we've been so encouraged about how it's grown year on year but it doesn't mean that we're just happy with, with where we're at now. Um, we want more people to listen. We want people to to keep being excited to listen, even though it's just me and you in the main rattling on. So, um, yeah, we're always keen to hear from you guys about what you want to see from us uh, and trying to do more cool stuff. Uh, non-football c- uh, questions continue. Phil says, are Ali and George locked down together? I can't imagine a time when you are separated by such a small thing as a worldwide pandemic. I mean, the answer is no, isn't it? But... I mean, we're in so many WhatsApp groups and various other things together that at any given time, we tend to be having about three different conversations. One in a WhatsApp group, one on our own WhatsApp, you know, just me and you, and then normally one in the Twitter DMs of NTT20 as we yeah. send each other funny tweets and things like that. So not in lockdown together, sadly, but both being very well looked after by by better halves, I think is uh, is, is what's to say <laughs> there. Uh, now for a fun one. If there was only one EFL current EFL player that you would choose to spend lockdown with under the same roof who would it be and why
1: well, it certainly wouldn't be my favourite footballer in, in the world at the moment um, who's that Chris McGuire mm-hmm. no oh non-Oxies. Jack Grealish yeah. yeah wouldn't be wouldn't be that man okay. um,
0: <laughs> does it has to be a current EFL player yeah it does yes it does good to see you've spent time thinking about this why don't I tell you who I've chosen and then you can have a bit more time to think okay so I thought about this uh seriously as I do with all the Q&A questions and firstly I decided I think it I think it should be someone older than me like I think I'd have a better time with someone who had that sort of who's a bit older, a bit more experienced I think young people are great but like I feel like young footballers now I mean it sounds ridiculous but I still think they would probably be bit different to me i think i'd struggle whereas i think an older player who's been through the ringer you know i really think i could i could connect with someone um pablo hernandez is my answer and i'll tell you (laughs) why i'll tell you why i reckon he's probably got a really nice place for starters so assuming that we're going around theirs i reckon it's very nice there i also know that he absolutely loves golf uh which i also love and i think i'm right in saying that he is, yes, I am correct. He is Sergio Garcia's brother in law. So he's <laughs> married to Sergio Garcia's sister, uh, or Sergio Garcia is married to Pablito's sister. I'm not sure. No, Garcia's sister is married to Pablo. Uh, and he's obsessed with golf. And so we'd have a really good time talking about golf. He'd also have some great stories because he's had an amazing career. That Valencia team from back in the day, uh, I had. I had the orange away kit and I loved it. Absolutely love that team. Uh, and also I reckon he really knows his wine and his ham and his cheese. And if he doesn't... He knows I'm, his ham. <laughs> and if he doesn't, I'm sure he knows someone who knows that stuff. So we, we'd eat well. We would, we would talk really... Uh, we'd really get through a lot. And so Pablo Hernandez is my answer.
1: My answer is Oxford related, unsurprisingly. It's Matt Taylor. Carl Robinson. But it's that's Matt Taylor for a few reasons. Firstly, as an Oxford fan and youth team player, we'd be able to reminisce about the glory days of the 90s together, talk about the likes of Paul Moody and Joey Beecham, talk about those players, also be able to really get down to the bottom of haven't what you,
0: happened. Haven't you done enough for talking about Joey Beecham and Paul Moody and all that? With who? Well, like every, everyone you've ever met
1: me and you never talk about Joey do you want to talk about Joey we'll do a podcast with Joey it'd be great uh, could find out what happened when he did the dirty on us instead um, of Bristol Rovers and then I can spend the rest of the time just persuading him that he's got to sign on <laughs> when uh, in the summer so uh, and he's currently my favorite Oxford player so easy
0: would you not Matty. would you not be worried that you'd scare him away yeah. <laughs> he'd be like wow I really need to get back to Bristol City because I've heard Ali Maxwell signing this summer and he's going <laughs> to <laughs> Maxwell and Taylor be firing them up to the Premier League Um, uh, most underrated snack to consume during lockdown you've had a tricky relationship with food in general in the last few days <laughs> given that I can't taste anything but salt uh, I've had, been having a lot of cashews
1: salted cashews nice. cause it's basically just very salty
0: yeah uh, just any, any crisp and dip combo for me um, kettle chips have been on the agenda there's some quite nice like I don't know what the brand is but there's some quite i always think they're quite posh but i don't know if they are they're sort of manchego and something else and they're they're a bit different they're they're more of a corn chip than a than a potato chip but they've been very good and um yeah just trying to sort of you know trying to be good but it's difficult um freddie says is there going to be an ntt20 tiktok account starting up soon uh the answer is no uh not not in the pipeline i'm only just really getting to grips with insta we've been enjoying our insta lives we want to do more of those um i have got quite a good content idea for youtube or twitter or both which basically george involves me and you ideally recording a remix duet of one day more from les mis uh, i'm working on it at the moment uh, you don't have to say yes or no yet all i've got at the moment is the first line which is for more. And then we go, we we'll go from there. So I don't know if it's going to be player names or sort of witty, witty rhymes. I haven't decided yet. But that's um... when. When is that? Well, it's, I mean, I've got a lot of time to work on content ideas at the moment. So uh, I think, I think my sister's coming to stay. So <laughs> very good, very good. Uh, last but not least, Jordan says, "Football snoods should they be brought back? Got any strong thoughts on snoods?" Well, I think they should be brought back now anyway because it covers up your mouth. Probably quite a good thing. That is, that's a magnificent answer. Well done. Uh, I've never worn a snood. I'd quite like to get one, actually. Um, I was always a, I was a gloves wearer as a player at, at school because I thought it made me look cool. A gloveman. It was one of those classic, like, in my head, even though everyone said they hated it, I still thought that I looked cool. So it's sort of, you know, don't listen to the haters type vibe. Uh, in hindsight, I did look a bit stupid because I didn't have particularly cool ones, just sort of woolly gloves, um, and then... You'd get really hot. Your hands would get really hot quite early on in the game. So then you'd have to take them off and look like you're admitting defeat. But anyway, uh, uh, snoods, why not? Let's bring back snoods. Jordan, thank you for the question. Thanks, everyone else, for the questions. Thank you, Johnny Jackson, for joining us on the phone earlier. hope you've enjoyed this Q&A pod. It's been made, uh, if you've enjoyed it, by your own questions. So please make sure that you're following us on social media at ntt 20 Pod on instagram and on twitter and as we said we love doing the pod it feels like we've been doing it for ages now and as you know we've been very regular i don't think we've missed a monday for almost two full seasons now so it might feel like um like we're just happy to be here but we do still want to keep growing the audience so any shares that you can give any recommendations to friends who are looking for audio goodness uh, are always well received as we look to grow NTT Twenty Pod, George. uh, It's been a pleasure. We'll talk again pretty soon, like all all the time we're talking. So we'll talk again probably in a couple of minutes, I imagine. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Speak then. Bye bye.